Hello everyone and thank you very much for listening. It means a lot and we are very grateful that our work is valuable and practical. It's so interesting is for you, travel enthusiasts, curious people and those who love exploring. Congratulations to us for getting a new microphone. It means better quality and we hope it will enhance your listening experience. Yay! So in this episode we decided to talk about the Northern Lights as this topic is quite important this time of the year and it raises so many questions that have to be clarified. The most popular are related to the destinations and how to choose the right time. We are currently working on three trips for our clients to go hunting for the Northern Lights and those trips are so different in terms of destinations, activities and expectations and this is why we decided to start with this topic. Also in this episode we talk about a very interesting topic, popular touristy places. To visit or not to visit? This is a dilemma widely discussed online as there is a bias that keeps people from going to the most popular destinations and we just have to talk about this. Considering our experience, we need to shape an opinion on this to share with you. You will also find out what scared us the most in Malta and our favorite restaurant in Amsterdam. So let's finally get to it! Aurora Borealis is a sophisticated name for the Northern Lights given to this natural phenomenon by astronomer and scientist Galileo Galilei in the early 17th century. The name derives from the Roman goddess of dawn Aurora, who traveled from the east to west announcing the coming of the sun, and Boreas is the name of the north wind. Aurora refers to a natural light display in the sky that is called Aurora Polaris. So the northern lights are called Aurora Borealis and the southern lights Aurora Australis, named after the south wind oyster. This is all we say about the northern lights from the informational side. You can read it online and we will not bother you explaining what it actually is and how polar lights occur. But what we definitely have to say is that you can observe polar lights in both hemispheres, going far north or far south. Yeah, but don't go too far. And this is what we start with. Location. The northern lights can be visible from many parts of the western hemisphere, but the vivid and strongest lights are at the latitude between 60 and 75 degrees in Norway, Iceland, Finland, Canada, Sweden, Greenland and Alaska. We recently posted a reel on Instagram and we'll add the link uh, to it in the description so you can see the best places to observe the northern lights. Norway is our favorite destination to hunt for northern lights because of location, travel infrastructure, amenities of nature and great services. For that reason we chose Tromsø as our main destination to see the northern lights. It is fabulous city to discover and it is interesting to stay there because of the cafes, sites and places to visit. You can also find here many services to go and see northern lights outside of the city. But we are the explorers ourselves, that is why we rented a car to hunt for those perfect spots to see Aurora. We cannot be uh, happy about our choice, uh, or we cannot be more happy about our choice as we traveled around Tromsø and saw all the beauty of nature. We drove along the coast and to the mountains. Oh, it was really marvelous. So renting a car in Tromsø is a lovely experience. 
We were in December, so also had a chance to experience a polar night with all those magical colors and shades of blue, orange, pink and purple. And also winters here don't seem to be as harsh as you might expect as the weather in Tromsø is impacted by the Gulf Stream, which brings a milder coastal climate than other places experience at the same period of time at the same latitude. Tromsø is quite popular for that reason and about 1.2 million people visit it each year. So to see the northern lights you have to think about several things weather, location, time of the year, time, and the KP index. The time of the year is the first aspect to talk about. If you want to see northern lights, you have to aim for the period between autumn and spring equinoxes. September 23rd, March, March 21st, when it gets dark outside earlier than 6 p.m. It means that when aurora comes, the sky is dark enough to see it. So the probability of seeing the northern lights is the highest, especially when the sun disappears at the end of November until mid-January, giving way to the polar night, you have even more chances to observe northern lights. Time is also a pretty tricky thing. You never know when aurora comes. Usually it happens towards evening, but it can be visible throughout the night as much as closer to the morning. As locals say, as long as it is dark, keep looking up at the sky. In our case, it happened all nights we were in Tromsø, around the same time in the evening, between 8 and 9 p.m. Weather is a huge factor. You need a clear sky to see the northern lights. No clouds, no fog, no rain. It is a rule. So the best weather is a frosty, dry climate and dark sky. For that reason, many people choose to go to Lapland in Finland, as the climate there is quite dry, which gives more chances for a clear sky. Additionally, it is an amazing place to spend time in the winter wonderland and emerge into the northern atmosphere. A great place to watch the northern lights in Finland is Olanka National Park. You can come here from November to March to see the northern lights. In the park, you can rent a lovely hotel room, try the Finnish sauna and enjoy the winter wonderland. Chances are very high, but no one can guarantee you great weather. Okay, I might pronounce it uh, incorrectly, but I'll try. It's Kil. The Sjärvi district in Finland is known for the high northern lights visibility and frequency with a chance to see aurora every three nights out of four. And in Sodankul and Rovaniemi, the lights are visible every second night during the polar night period. Also, according to the statistics, at the Kaukslatanen resort you can observe the northern lights every other night during January. Here you can admire the northern lights while lying in bed in a traditional wooden house with a glass roof, a sauna and the open fire. Regarding the weather, I can recommend you monitor the weather on the same dates you want to go, but all the previous years. What was the weather like? How was the sky? It is the same thing you do to find out the best time for balloon flights in Cappadocia, for example. Monitor previous years and also ask uh, locals. It is April, by the way, the most successful month for hot air balloon flights in Cappadocia. Uh, for Tromsø, we chose uh, our dates uh, using the same technique. We researched the weather, monitored forecasts, read the comments and asked locals. Eventually, we decided to go in the middle of December 
and out of four nights uh, that we spent there, there was only one night with a weak aurora and a bit cloudy sky. As for locations, it so depends on, on what you prefer. But you definitely need to stay in the area at the latitude between 60 and 75 degrees. For example, the best places in Sweden where you can observe the northern lights are Tornetrosk Lake, Yukasjarvi, and Torne Valley. <laughs> you know, you're just perfect, perfect with those names. I don't know if you, if you pronounce them correctly, but I immediately imagined myself in Sweden. Yukasjar is a little village with a population of about 600 people, but it has become very popular at the first ice hotel in the world. But those are the regions that are not that easy to reach. Instead, northern light spots in Iceland are easier to get to. You can observe the northern lights just right there, in the northernmost capital of the world, Reykjavik. Thanks to the Gulf Stream, the climate here is quite mild. In Reykjavik, the temperature rarely drops below zero in winter. The official season for observing the Northern Lights here lasts from October to March. Reykjavik is an excellent place, but more often hunting for the Northern Lights is much better outside the small towns or completely in nature. For that reason, you can take a guided tour, rent a car, go on boat tour or camp to see the Northern Lights. I will not name the places in Iceland for the Northern Lights as I have problems with Icelandic word pronunciation. So we will leave the list of these places below in the description of this podcast. Yeah, well, who doesn't have a problem with pronouncing geographical names in Iceland? It's very difficult, so I think you have to have a local to explain it to you first and then uh, try and to, to repeat it. Yeah. Please check them out if you are going to Iceland for the Northern Lights as it is very convenient in terms of transportation. Another amazing place for the Northern Lights is Canada. Extremely great in terms of chances but extremely difficult in terms of weather and transportation. Canadian Yellow Knife is one of the most famous Northern Lights spots in the country as the Aurora Borealis can be observed here up to 240 days a year Due to the geographical location, weather and infrastructure, this small town is considered the capital of the Northern Lights in Canada. There is a small airport in Yellowknife, so you can actually fly in here. It won't be that easy to organize layovers though, but still it is the way to get there faster. Winters at this latitude in Canada are quite harsh. So tourists are offered all the conditions for comfortable hunting, special hotels and campsites, transport and clothing. So it is much better to buy a package tour and don't worry about anything. Yellowknife conducts daily observation of the Northern Lights and claims with confidence that every season there is a 95% probability of watching Aurora three days in a row pretty great chances. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Three nights in a row Aurora experience is also offered in Alaska. Fairbanks is the most popular US destination to see the Northern Lights. The Geophysical Institute, which is located here, issues forecasts and the conditions for the Aurora viewings and they claim that there is an 80% chance to see the Northern Lights if you stay here for three nights. 
Tourists are also offered various specialized excursions and tours here. You can travel the polar circle areas, visit remote and deserted places on the Alaska Railroad Aurora Winter Train. It is very interesting and unforgettable experience. You will never see the sky the same ever again after seeing the northern lights above your head. Don't be afraid of cold weather. There are so many places with tolerable temperatures. Or you can stay in the glass roof bungalow and not spend much time outdoors. Although it is not that warm in those bungalows either. And if you go on a guided tour with professional Northern Lights hunters, they will have everything you need with them. Warm clothes, blankets, tea, and a fireplace to cook a warm meal. The experience is totally worth the hustle. Important to mention that the Northern Lights are not that visible to the phone that are to you. So if you want to have great footage, you have to prepare a camera and a tripod. We took some photos with our phones, but only with certain settings and the northern lights must be strong for the phone lens to see them. By the way, to monitor the strength of the aurora, you need to check the KP index. It is a global auroral activity indicator on a scale from 0 to 9, where 0 is the lowest. The best KP index to see the northern lights starts from 5, but any location on the high latitudes will be able to see auroras even with the KP of 4. But remember, the higher the index is, the better aurora and the stronger colors you will see. If in your forecast the index is lower than 4 and you're already up there in the north, don't be sad, just go outside the city to the darker places to avoid light pollution and get darker sky. In Tromsø, the city itself, we saw the northern lights only once when the index was between 5 and 6, but outside of the city we had a better chance even with a 3.5 kb index it's so interesting that in order to avoid all the hustle and stress of being in the city renting a car or getting a guided tour monitoring the factors and researching everything that can affect your northern lights hunting experience you can simply take a northern lights cruise stay on the ship in the evening to see the aurora borealis and step in the cities during the day there are several of those in Norway. But for those of you who want to hustle and stress out, we will post useful information for you to plan the best Northern Lights experience down in the description to this episode. Yeah, the cruise is not the experience for everyone. The ship can get crowded, feel too touristy, and you have to love spending time like this. Totally agree. The topic of being too touristy is apparently quite an issue these days. You could have already heard that we uh, had a discussion on Instagram about avoiding touristy places while visiting popular destinations, and it's really a matter. The thing is that we got an inquiry to plan a trip for a couple to Europe for the first time. It's like their first time coming to Europe. And while she wants to visit all the most popular sites, he wants to stay local and avoid touristy places. A challenging trip to plan, I must admit. But we will manage it in the best way possible. Although we now know that there is a bias about being too touristy that some people feel uncomfortable about being judged if they visit touristy places. Oh, public opinion. Sure, I understand that no one wants to fight their way through the crowd to get closer to the Trevi Fountain 
Okyu to the Sagrada Familia, but most of the touristy places are popular for a reason. And if you visit a city, a region, a place for the first time, there is nothing wrong to go to touristy places, to see the famous sites with your own eyes. You can't visit Rome without seeing Colosseum or Paris without seeing the Eiffel Tower. These are the symbols of those places. And Eiffel Tower can't be missed in Paris. <laughs> well, true. I also have a confession to make. I don't like Florence. Or I didn't like it when we were there. We didn't visit it during the peak season, but it was so overcrowded and it was exhausting to queue everywhere, flow with the crowds through the streets, and was difficult to make reservations in good restaurants and enjoy all the piazzas and parks and viewpoints. And the ground on the Ponte Vecchio really was impossible. Well, but also, I will never say don't go to Florence. The cultural value, the heritage, the masterpieces and the architectural influence are so important that if you're curious, you have to see it all at least once in a lifetime. Dedicate one day to briefly see everything and then enjoy the local life outside of the touristy places. For that cause, you can go to Tuscany from Florence and stay in villages, eat local food, visit agriturismo, farms and see the real local life impacted by tourism. I would say ignore what others say, but for many it is much easier said than done. But I'm sure that if you don't want to be like a tourist, don't take a hop-on, hop-off bus. Take public transport instead. This is what gets you the closest to the locals. And if you want to see the Eiffel Tower, you can do it from a terrace of a fancy restaurant or a cocktail bar with a fabulous view, and you don't have to get close enough to it. There can also be such confusion with restaurants. No one wants to be ripped off a touristy place for the mediocre meal that costs a fortune so you remember it for years after the journey is over. But some of the best local places can also become very popular touristy places. For example, the seafood bar in Amsterdam. Oh, our favorite place to eat in Amsterdam. True, those are situated in central locations, but are so famous among locals. Yeah, guys, listen, the food there is delicious and fresh and Oh my God, and presented perfectly. Oh, how can we record this uh, episode without talking about food? Yeah, huh? That's true. <laughs> so yes, the seafood bar was a great secret the locals kept from you when you wanted to eat crab or lobster or oyster and yummy fish soup. But it has become so popular among tourists that you have to book a table in advance or be seated at the counter. Yeah, I would grab a bite there. We are also not fans of overcrowded touristy locations, but we understand the worst. For that reason, we are trying to avoid big chain hotels during our trips and stay in a small family-run business with that local hospitality and home-like spirit. We usually rent a car to not only stay in the city, but to get out, at least for a bit, to see the local life nearby. Beautiful villages in Andalusia, the coastal towns of the North Sea, picturesque views of Schwarzwald, Mosul region, small towns in Yucatan and Quintana Roo, 
oh, there are so many places of those just less than two hours drive from popular big cities. The only place we didn't rent a car at was Cuba, but that is the whole other story and one day we will share it here too. And getting away from tourists in Malta was very tricky as we drove to the very secluded area with marvelous sea views from the cliffs, no people, no cars, no mobile reception, just two of us and fascinating views. When suddenly two cars drove down the hill and we saw three men getting out of the cars with guns, regular hunting guns. It was uncomfortable, if not to say scary as almost every true crime story starts this way. Yeah, so we tried to stay cool, but at the same time, we actually made each other nervous. So going to the place for the first time, try to survive several hours in touristy places, just for the experience, to see that popular famous place and have your opinion on it. That's our attitude and our advice if you're asking. But if it's definitely not for you, there's a new way of traveling that becomes very popular. And soon can also become touristy too. I want to remind you here that we are professional travel planners and travel addicts who can plan an outstanding journey that will be the best experience of your life. No bias, no prejudice, no judgment. As our mother always says, for every pot and pan there is a lid. Oh yeah, so this new popular way of traveling, the slow travel concept. A new word for authentic experiences. For those tired of travel must-sees, resorts, checklists and high travel pace. Slow travel is like traveling in slow motion. A way to travel and enjoy the moment. It is more about peace of mind, the internal state and not seeing the places. Oh. Well, I don't mean not seeing the places, but I mean like it's not that you're running to see those places. Oh, that is what I mostly travel for. Traveling is like therapy to me. I find inspiration in it, motivation, answers to my existential questions and ideas for future development. Exactly. This is the idea of the slow travel concept. A goal is to travel, which will not only allow you to watch and explore new places, but also discover your inner self and open up to the world and other people. Traveling at a slow pace gives you an opportunity to stop for a moment, think about what is important in life and find and learn about your true nature. There is a totally another approach to traveling if you choose slow travel. One of the forms of the concept is retreat. A great way to slow down and enjoy. You can find a themed retreat to go to, plan a slow travel holiday with family, spend time in nature or volunteering on the farm, create your vacation comfort zone in a bungalow or on a boat, whatever suits you the best. The main idea is to slow down and enjoy what is around you. Sounds amazing and I already want to make our journey, our next journey, a slow trip. Say no more. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the year we feel like we need to rest and recharge and as traveling is always the answer for us, we will think about our slow travel getaway to recharge, maybe to some warm countries to enjoy the sea and sun. Sounds great. We will think about that and in the next episode we'll definitely discuss the all-inclusive resorts and whether it is worth going to such places for holidays. During 
winter. Such hotels are very popular for vacations in Dominican Republic, Mexico, Bahamas, Egypt, Jamaica, Maldives, and other places. Yeah, but in English-speaking world, we used to call it Mexico. <laughs> I know that Mira is studying Spanish. <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> so she's she's studying Spanish, <laughs> and uh, it's like really several languages in this podcast. But when you study the language, you kind of like read those uh, names in the language you want to speak. So on this high note, thank you very much for listening and coming back to us. Next episode is out in a week. We are Julia and Miro. If you enjoy our work, like, save, comment, share and follow us on social media. And let's stay in touch. <laughs>